Welcome to the Compassionate Capitalist Radio Show with host Karen Rands. A compassionate capitalist is someone who invests their money into entrepreneur endeavors to bring innovation to the market and create wealth for all those involved. Karen shares insights and best practices for entrepreneurs to succeed and investors to share in that success without all the risks. And now. Welcome. This is Karen Rands. I'm glad to have you join us today uh, for the Compassionate Capitalist podcast. And, you know, uh, for those that have listened for a while and those that are new to the show, one of our common objectives with this is to make sure that we have, um, that we provide insights and new information that you may or may not be familiar with as you're on your journey to create a successful entrepreneur endeavor or as, as an investor that's either actively investing in entrepreneurs or somebody that is considering investing in entrepreneurs. So as we bring in industry insiders into this, I have been in probably the last um, three or four years been really getting serious about developing my understanding of family offices and my um, access and relationships with people through the family office uh, club. And um, I met my, our guest today a couple of years back at an event, and we've talked a couple of times off and on over uh, seeing each other at these different events. And we got to talk in the last time about uh, his family office and uh, my expectations that they were all in real estate. And Brian, he's, I'll introduce in just a second, telling me that he, that actually they did look at investing in private equity and to entrepreneurs. And although, as you'll hear from him, not what you would consider most angel investors as really early stage, it's much more, you know, uh, predictable and managed risk in what he makes. He, he is, his family office is investing in entrepreneur endeavors. And so a big part of my push when I came out with Inside Secrets to Angel Investing was to try, try, to, try to take um, real estate, people that have, traditionally have invested in real estate. I think we have a siren going there. Is that a siren <laughs> where you are, Brian? <laughs> New York City. Yeah. <laughs> So everything. So you know, it was diversified portfolio, and I believe, and my mission as the leading the compassionate capitalist movement is to get people to believe and understand how investing in entrepreneurs, when they're still private before they go public, is um, a a legitimate asset class to build into a portfolio that you manage your risk with along with real estate stocks and the other things that you choose to invest in. And so, um, so with that, I want to, let me give you a little bit of stage around Brian's here, because I think this is great. And he'll talk a little bit, he'll talk more about his story, but so Brian DeLucia is the managing partner of, I hope I say this right. Arivato. 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 A uh, single-family office, which was created from a foundation of land and building development in the real estate industry, and um, as part of that, he has developed and learned, and we, he'll tell you through growing up through this process of managing these funds and, and being very strategic in the way that they make their investments, has learned his own inside secrets for creating wealth and diversifying to preserve that wealth for future generations, and so. Um, Brian, you can read more in if you go looking at the show notes. There's um, a link to his LinkedIn profile. You can learn more about those. But 
he's got a good story to tell. I'll let him talk about his um, his journey to this and kind of how he kind of came into being the person that runs. And we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about family offices as an entity in and of itself because um, I was around angel investing for probably seven years as running an angel investor group before I even heard the term family office. And so it's it's not not a big leap of stretch of faith of of whatever to get to a point to realize that there's, there's a, I'm always learning something new every day and learn about family offices is something that I have been learning about and um, and in awe of this whole sector of the financial market. So. With that, welcome to the show, Brian. How are you today? Well, doing very well. Thank you for the invitation. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad that you were able to come on the show. So so when we were talking previously, you were telling me that you're actually third gen in this family yeah. office. So talk about the history and the legacy of the family, where it came from, how was that name, what the, the source of the name, and... And, um, you know, and then we'll move on into what you do today. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, you know, very old school, traditional, uh, you know, family and uh, some family friends that have uh, been working together, you know, in the real estate development space and some other traditional businesses, you know, for many, many years now. And then when it came time to actually uh, building out the, uh, you know, the family office, uh, you know, it was a decision to basically create what I guess you would call a wall, uh, you know, that, uh, you know, allows you to function out in, you know, public life, but also, you know, keeps your various different business interests a little bit more discreet. And in today's more modern business world, you know, you have to have something that's a little bit brandable in terms of a name and being, you know, from Italian descent, uh, you know, the name Arivado came up uh, accidentally one day through a discussion. And I thought, you know, it was a very unique name. It had some good meaning behind it, you know, arriving, becoming. And um, I thought it was just something that would be a good, you know, brandable, recognizable, you know, name. And um, over the years, that uh, certainly has held very true. Uh, so very, very fortunate in that regard. Okay, so good. So, 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 it, so the, um, your family's uh, investable income or strategy started with, I get your grandparents, and was it always real yes. estate, or was there a like had they been a business at one point in time and then started investing in real estate, or how did that initial wealth get created? Well, mostly through real estate, uh, land land development was huge uh, focus. Uh, you know, for a long time, and 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 somewhat still is yet, but in a little bit of a different uh, strategy. But you know, actually buying large, uh, you know, parcels of land, like in suburban uh, southeastern Pennsylvania, south, you know, in South Jersey, Delaware, Maryland, Virginia. You know, you have you know, those are markets that over the years have grown. Um, you know, where you you know maybe were traditional. Uh, family farms that you would acquire, you know, over time and then uh, develop and, and, and create uh, residential subdivisions and mixed use communities. 
that you would ultimately sell to a large national home builders. And then also over time, you know, we did a lot of our own building development in single family homes and multifamily and then suburban office and retail assets, you know, you know, back a generation ago. So, okay. So was it, you know, because right now you always people think of a cottage industry, uh, a real estate as a cottage industry to a large part. People can because they yeah. change the financing laws and they change how you, in, how you handle investment properties on your taxes and all of that kind of stuff had changed 20, 30 years ago and made it easier for people that didn't have a lot of wealth to be involved in real estate. They could do mm-hmm. stuff small and build over time if they were smart and diligent about mm-hmm. it. You know, and so was so was it more timing that you could buy these large stretches just at really low cost, and you just had a little bit of money? Did you did your grandparents' friends all kind of pull their money together to to buy this to get like the first piece mm. of it done? Or well, or? it's like it's it's actually a combination of all of the above, and you know, there's a. Uh, you know, definitely started on a little bit of a smaller scale, but, you know, back in, you know, I guess what you'd say back in the day, you know, certainly you were able to acquire, you know, large parcels of land at, uh, you know, at a lot lower cost. And also, you know, a lot of times when you're working with a private landowner uh, that maybe their family owned the, you know, the land and you're going to be doing a land development deal, you know, a lot of times you might have been able to work out certain type of terms as well oh, uh, sure. to, um, you know, to get in, you know, to get involved in those, uh, you know, before you had, you know, maybe before you were starting to put in significant, uh, you know, capital, you would, you would, you know, work on some of the, uh, you know, approval process before you would actually, you know, perform the, you know, I guess you would call the heavy lifting uh, and, and certainly the majority of the, uh, you know, the costs that would be going into a land development opportunity. But also, you know, especially in the early years, too, you'd find a lot of opportunities, you know, uh, you know, in small niche opportunities just driving around. And, you know, you'd see somebody working and you, you know, pull up on the side of the road and get, you know, get out of the car. And, and one of my, you know, uh, you know, uh, family members, you know, was very famous for just walking up and, and just saying, hello, what are you doing? And that opened up a lot of doors and, and a lot of opportunities to maybe help get involved in situations that were a little bit challenging, but there was a really opportunistic, um, you know, opening there to, um, you know, to get involved in a project. And so a lot of that, uh, I guess you would say emerged, you know, way back when. And, and that's a philosophy that I still use to this day yet. Um, You know, I always say the simple power of hello uh, opens up a lot of doors you know, whether it's, you know, still in the, you know, in the face-to-face old school uh, realm of a relationship, but even in today's, you know, modern world, you know, if you're speaking with somebody online, you know, the word hello, you know, certainly (laughs) opens up a lot of dialogue, you know. Yeah, well, that's how, right? I mean, that's a, I think that's one of the big powers of the Family Office Club and the events that, that they host is that, 
you do have this um, comfortable environment for people to make to meet new people and then also to continue to build relationships. So if there is an opportunity to work yeah. together on something in the future, you you have that source that you would never have had, and you probably wouldn't wouldn't connect at the same level on online, regardless, right? It, it, there is yeah. there is yeah. always still a certain Great. amount of face to face face to face and yeah. looking eyeball to eyeball, shaking a hand, breaking bread, you know that kind of stuff that I think yeah. is core yeah. to strategic business relationships. Oh, I agree. I mean, I, I certainly, you know, we, we you know, we, we all talk about how technology, uh, you know, is, um, you know, creates so many opportunities today. But I still believe that, you know, the human element remains the catalyst and the foundation, you know, of uh, building a relationship and ultimately, you know, building business. You know, certainly technology creates a little bit more efficiencies. In uh, in some of that activity, but it certainly never will replace you know the 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 power of the human element. Yeah, the who do you know aspect. So, yeah. for those that are tuning in and ha- aren't really that familiar with this idea of family offices, uh, just let's do a little nuts and bolts family office one hundred and one. Sure. Why is it different than a high net worth somebody just having and a you know having money under management with a wealth mm-hmm. manager, a resident, a registered investment advisor, an accountant, a lawyer in, in particular, you know, versus like actually creating what I, you know, on your website, you call the public entity of being a family office. Mm-hmm. So yeah. t- talk just a little bit for people that may not be com- that familiar with, with, why that as a structure is something I see it as something I'm just amazed at the freedom that you and control that you have when um, people actually start operating as a family office. And so, and it, and it doesn't necessarily have to be brothers and sisters because, you know, everybody that's on your mm-hmm. website, it's not your brother and sister. So there's, you know, there's mm-hmm. words that say something and then it's kind of really functionally strategically, there's a reason why you operate that way. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, certainly, you know, control is, is, uh, absolutely, uh, one of the primary reasons why you set up a family office, uh, you know, and, and governance, uh, you know, within, uh, you know, within your family or within your organization, I, I believe is, is extremely important as well. And, and I think, you know, within that framework, you know, there's something called alignment of interest, uh, which, you know, you, you know, you could work with, um, you know, the most intelligent advisors, you know, in, in the, in, you know, in the business community. However, um, you know, they, you also have to work with people that are very aligned with your own interests, you know, so when you set up and build your, you know, your own team, you know, you're building a team around people that are, you know, very well aligned with your principles, your mission, your values, and ultimately, you know, what you're, you know, looking to continue to, to accomplish. Whereas maybe if you outsource that, uh, you know, you might be working with somebody that is extremely intelligent, um, but they might not have the same interests as you do, and they might not have the, uh, you know, same direction, you know, that, that, you know, you're going in, 
um, you know, where, where maybe their background's been. And, you know, that's, that's a very, very fundamental, but yet very underrated uh, aspect of, you know, why you set up, you know, a family office and, and, um, you know, and, and have the right people, uh, you know, within your organization. So, okay. So it's sort of like if you have, um, when you have advisors, they're also advising yeah. other people as well. So they're not, that's where not they only is be, it alignment, yes, you know, it's not, well, yeah. yeah, when they're just sort of, they're usually working for yeah. some firm or they're mm-hmm. independent and they might, yeah. you know, whereas um, in your case, it becomes the team part of it um, and the um, allegiance, if you will, is, uh, is, 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 could conducive to taking your, you know, instead of just being, oh, I'm going to make some investments, that it becomes a business. Mm-hmm. You're in the business of investing. Yeah. yeah. And well, so yeah, you created you're, you're a business. Yeah. Yeah. There's certainly go through a transition uh, while, you know, a lot of, and, you know, there's still a lot of families, you know, similar to, you know, what we do in terms of continuing to, you know, build business and build operating companies, you know, however, there's a lot, you know, there is a transition of, you know, you know, going from, you know, operating a business to essentially, you know, managing and operating, you know, you know, the, you know, your capital. And it's a little bit, you know, of a fundamental shift that you have to make, you know, when you're going through that transition as a, you know, as a family. Yeah. So uh, something you had mentioned earlier, we're going to dive into the diversification thing in just a second, but I want to ask you because I didn't include your website in the show notes and I'll do that is um, because you mentioned about a desire or, or something that's sort of part of your long-term plan um, to become an advisor or to help others, you know, uh, less experienced folks trying to create their family offices to to be able to advise them and maybe because there is such a thing as a multifamily office, right? So is that something that you're open to that you want, you'd like to have folks if they're trying to figure out should they start a family office or they've just started it and they don't really have practices in place mm-hmm. that they would um, come to you as uh, a, your organization as an advisor? Well, we don't have a formal practice for that. However, you know, one of the things that naturally does happen in, and it, and we're seeing a trend in, in this uh, occurring, you know, a little bit more often just because of, you know, our inner circles that we're involved in. And I guess, you know, I guess over time you, you know, you meet a lot of people and, and a lot of people, you know, you build trust, you know, on a two-way street, uh, you know, so certainly, um, you know, as families, a lot of us, you know, have conversations together and there has been, you know, more people reaching out to whether it's myself or other um, individuals that, uh, you know, I'm friend, you know, other families that I'm friends with as well are experiencing the same thing, um, you know, that they're being approached by, uh, you know, families that maybe have had a significant liquidity event and now they want to set up a family office. 
and, you know, they want to maybe talk to some other people, uh, you know, within these circles in terms of, you know, some advice or maybe some ways to plug into their infrastructure. And then you're also seeing, you know, uh, you know, families who already do have a family office that maybe are looking to make some adjustments or they're maybe looking to add some aspects to their family office and they're going to speak to, you know, maybe some people that like myself or other, uh, you know, friends of mine who also, you know, either run a family office or, you know, their family, um, you know, has their own family office to, uh, you know, see if there's some alignments of interest, you know, to ultimately, you know, work together, plug into, you know, certain infrastructure. Right. So for those, it it is the the company name, A-R-R-I-V-A-T-O-L-L-C.com, if you want to go and uh, check that out. Uh, there's a, and there's some inf- interesting information about family offices, trends, challenges, things like that on the website. And you have this one statement. And you're probably not you're probably not familiar with all the everything that's on your website. So hopefully I don't take you off guard on this. But I thought it was an interesting idea of liquid strategies. And so as a part of a challenge, and so that. Uh, by help, working with other family offices that to consider these liquid strategies as a way to yield flat and very conservative returns over the next several years. Mm-hmm. That's, talk about that as a concept. What are liquid strategies and this goal sure. of flat to conservative returns as, as kind of a baseline before we get into the diversification conversation? Yeah, no, it's it's a great question, and it's actually a very good observation you made. A you know, pursuant to the website, you know, the you know the website was really you know put together as an opportunity to you know provide people an opportunity to understand how do we think, how do we look at things, you know, and also give you know some of our perspectives because it helps I think when people approach uh, you know us, and that's one of the things that. Honestly, a lot of, you know, individuals in the business world, when they approach a family office, they have, you know, maybe not the proper understanding or expectations on how to, you know, or how a family is, you know, thinks. So I try to provide a lot of that, you know, up front as a way to help people when they're approaching, you know, us for the first time. And, you know, when it comes to liquid strategies, you know, ultimately, you know, that could be you know, various different trading strategies and, uh, you know, fixed income and, uh, and, and so forth. It's, it's areas that, you know, we, we're, we, you know, we certainly have not been active in ourselves because we're, you know, traditionally business builders and hard assets and so forth. But, uh, you know, a lot of families, you know, have been, you know, reaching out, talking to other families or sometimes within our quiet, uh, you know, roundtable meetings, that, you know, we all, you know, that maybe 5, 10, 15 families sit around the table and have these conversations. And a lot of them, you know, have been asking, um, you know, their, you know, fellow, I guess, uh, family office, uh, you know, compadres uh, pursuant to uh, how do we find more yield in the, in the market? Because um, a lot of them have been, you know, maybe not quite getting the performance that they that they were, you know, five, 10, 15 years ago. And now they're, you know, starting to look at what are some other opportunities out there to, you know, ultimately generate yield, yet 
still also address, uh, you know, downside protection or, you know, still having a very strong, you know, risk adjusted approach to their investment strategies? Yeah, well, because I think uh, it's interesting because it's just might be the the flavor, the flavor, the wording of that, right? So it's like liquid strategies is really kind of income that supports the family and the operations. So if you are just like any business, if you are expecting mm-hmm. to have generated a certain amount of profit from the operation of the business and the operation of your family office is investing in things that produce income. So having, you know, looking down the road, not 30 days, not 90 days, but, you know, 90 days, six months, 12 months, you know, when should we move on this particular investment mm-hmm. to either divest or invest more or just that's the, just totally makes sense that you know it happens to be the the words you use is a liquid strategy yeah. but it's really your it's the yeah. it's the income that you support the business with and your you know households yeah yeah and certainly as a disclaimer i certainly you know do not you know i i'm certainly not providing any you know investment advice or or direction here but but yeah certainly uh you know, uh, you know, there are a lot of families that, you know, are passive investors and they do have to, you know, generate, you know, a, a, a certain benchmark of income uh, on an annual basis, uh, you know, that supersedes, you know, what their expenses are. Right. Okay. So, um, so let's talk about diversification. So, you know, this is one of the things that I emphasize in my book, Inside Secrets to Angel Investing, is that you know, people mm-hmm. are very familiar with the idea of, of buying stock that's, that, that's, you know, straight up capitalism and buying and then selling real estate. There's a lot that people can learn mm-hmm. to um, invest in that. It became something that wasn't such a, you know, 30 years ago. It was only the most wealthy, as such as your family office and institutional that made those kinds of large real estate investments or, you know, growing, accumulating real estate. It wasn't until changes in tax laws and changes in um, access to capital through lenders, how they viewed investment property versus primary residence that, you know, freed up some, some investment capital um, that they, you know, that it started to shift. And then you've got a big, a whole cottage industry on educating people on it. And now people at just about every income level, you know, will try to get into, they, they strive to figure out how to get into real estate to start creating a, another source of income besides what they do for their W-2 or something like that, or, or taking proceeds out of the business and putting it into, into real estate. So it's become something that, you know, it's very commonplace for people to have real estate in their portfolio. Whereas investing in entrepreneurs as an angel investor or private equity investor, or whatever, you know, silent partner, uh, minority business owner backing an investment, uh, real, an opportunity, an, uh, an entrepreneur. There's all different words that people use for uh, being that kind of an investor. But bottom line is it's providing pr- a source of private capital for entrepreneurs, CEOs, executives, founders, executive teams that are either in a, a early stage, startup early stage, or a growth stage because it just doesn't work with what they're doing, bringing out a new product that they can't go to your traditional sources of, of angel groups and VCs and private equity funds or banks. And so the private side, and up until 2012, you know, quite frankly, angel investors as a group, I ran one for a decade, 
they it was um, pretty exclusive organ groups of people. They were, you know, male dominated, white male dominated for the most part. It's much more diverse now, but still not enough. And, you know, it was a lot of times people that came out of the tech space. And so if you weren't in the tech space or you weren't in, you know, somebody that had sold a company, you, you just didn't, you couldn't, you didn't even know, know that these organizations existed to play. And that's all changing now with the Jobs Act and the ability for people almost like in real estate, we call it the great economic de- democratization of the capital markets because people can participate at different kind of income levels. Um, but it's a, you know, when markets go up and down and we've had a, a restructuring or recalibration of the real estate market in the last decade. And so diversifying into entrepreneurs and there's so many more entrepreneurs out there now than there were say 50 or a hundred years ago that have potential to create these multiple liquidity events because of being acquired by another bigger company or being going public, you know, it just makes sense to look at it from a diversification. So uh, I want to talk about the, you know, the things that you, you know, how you guys are, are focused on that, but just talk about sort of how you got the inspiration, if you will, to say, you know what, we should really look at looking into private investment into entrepreneurs as another asset and sort of shifting the paradigm within the organization how you first became aware of it as something to do and started to develop your skills in that on a personal basis? Oh, I mean, at the end, when it's, um, you know, I guess all said and done, I mean, it, you know, ultimately it's just something that was natural evolution. It wasn't, you know, sitting around a table one day and, and just deciding, you know, to make some private investments. You know, we have, you know, some very close friends of ours over a long period of time, that, uh, you know, have certain areas of expertise uh, that we've been able to, uh, you know, leverage, uh, you know, for the most part. And and these are, you know, very, you know, simple, traditional, uh, you know, businesses, you know, like in transportation related, um, you know, manufacturing and data centers, uh, logistics. And, uh, you know, maybe, you know, in some cases, you know, waste management, wastewater type of businesses where you have repeatable, you know, revenue or recurring revenue models and, you know, predictable income streams, um, you know, and you, you find that these are, you know, traditionally uh, economic drivers in the marketplace and, and you, um, you know, are working with, you know, founders that built these businesses to where they're doing well, but, uh, you know, the, the business reaches an inflection point and um, it's not only just, you know, bringing capital to the table, but it's bringing, you know, a real ecosystem and some strategic leadership, you know, to help elevate these businesses as well. Um, so that's one of the reasons why, you know, we certainly look at some really good opportunities over the course of the year, you know, with, uh, you know, businesses that we could just relate to. Um, like I said, that, uh, you know, have really good people involved in them and there's, you know, that predictable, uh, recurring, you know, revenue stream. Well, I feel like I almost paid you to say that because <laughs> that's exactly what <laughs> no. I'm, I'm talking about in my upcoming yeah. book. It's called scale, oh, yeah. right? Because it's, it's yeah. for 
the, where where startups go get money is pretty well defined. It's you know there's lots yeah. of incubators and accelerators and angel groups and and the unofficial mm-hmm. angel groups and VC led angel groups or angel buddies, whatever, all over the country. In in every market, really, there's something there or could be or there's not that there's a big city nearby that somebody can go to, and so. It's uh, that's that's fairly predictable. Where I found that it's really struggles a lot of times are that the companies that you just described they're they're in traditional sectors. They are yeah. they've reached the pinnacle of you know millions in revenue. They're about some you know give or take, and they have hit a wall where the capital they need to grow to to expand and build another plant or to you know bring out a new line of product or. They can't go to your traditional lenders. They can't go. They're too small for private equity funds. And they're wrong industry, too slow for VCs, and out of the ballpark because of the size they are already for traditional angel groups. Where do they go? And you just described it perfectly. Yeah, and it's a great way to mitigate your risk because, like you say, they are a going concern. They obviously they figured out how to make some money. They can make more money. And you can participate in helping them make more money as also while they grow and expand. And so it's a true win-win for somebody that has a risk profile such as a family office. Oh, absolutely. Because, you know, these are talented individuals within their skills. uh, And, you know, they've done a really good job, you know, taking a business to, you know, a proven level. And, you know, it's just a matter of, you know, at some point, you reach, you know, when you reach that inflection stage of your business, uh, you know, it, as a founder, you know, it's a different skill set, you know, ultimately, you know, I always say, you know, get, you know, taking a business from the, you know, floor to the table, but then when you, you know, have to, you know, take the business from the table to the ceiling, you know, yeah, it certainly requires significantly more capital, uh, you know, whether it's, you know, increasing inventory, buying more equipment, or, you know, building a new plan, or maybe you want to, you know, there's an acquisition or two that you have, uh, you know, targeted that would help even take the business to another level. Um, You know, so there's certainly, you know, significant capital needs. However, you know, there's also, you know, that, um, you know, that broad picture leadership, uh, you know, where, you know, a a certain, you know, family office or, or, uh, you know, ultra high net worth investment group can come in and they, you know, they have, you know, the track record and experience to scale companies to a much larger level. You know, they can help, you know, bring the right relationships to the table. So it's a whole ecosystem, you know, ultimately, and and, and, and a role of decks that could be brought into the business to help elevate it to a, you know, a very, you know, uh, broader scale, but also, you know, it's sustainable in terms of, you know, creating more jobs and, you know, better economics over the long term. So when you um, look at companies like, like that, that you're considering is your, so you now we're talking about you're diversifying into private equity, private companies, do you also look at that they might be doing uh, the, the return comes from a revenue? So there's like three ways, right? And I'm just so there's you're providing short-term debt because you're going to provide them with, you know, financing for something that's short-term, bridge financing to something else, you know, a contract or buying equipment or you know things yeah. like that that they might need, and they pay you back 
and you like that because it's not long term, it's short term. And then there's also the ones mm-hmm. where it's revenue participation, where they pay you a percentage of the revenue until some multiple of the money is paid paid back. And then there's the straight up equity that you're doing this, which is where then a private equity fund or a or a hedge fund's going to buy it as part of a roll up, and you'll exit that way. Do you look at all three of those, or is that like on your radar where you're trying to have a mix of that when it comes to these alternative investments outside of real estate? Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. You actually covered it perfectly. Um, yeah, most of you know the the uh, relationships that we're directly involved in typically have been a little bit more equity. Uh, however. There are, you know, like other friends of mine uh, within our circles that, uh, you know, are maybe a little bit more short-term debt-driven, or there's a lot of them, especially if it's like there's a special situation or a story uh, scenario where it could be a combination or a blend of, you know, taking the security of debt, um, you know, but also, uh, you know, the uh, upside of, you know, equity as well, especially, you know, if you're taking you know, um, you know, a lot of economic exposure compared to, you know, the other side of the table, I guess you would say, uh, you know, to help, you know, build a business to a much higher scale. You know, so there has to be a compelling reason, uh, you know, ultimately to write a check. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Making money. That's the capitalist yeah. side of it. <laughs> yeah. The compassion side of I it mean, is well, uh, the but Yeah, definitely. And that's where maybe some of the differences, and I know, you know, you mentioned earlier in this discussion, you know, like, uh, you know, maybe high net worth individuals versus like a formal ultra high net worth investment, uh, you know, organization where it's, um, you know, as a high net worth investor, you know, you might get involved in something because it sounds great or, you know, it's something that sounds like, you know, you can brag to your other friends that, hey, I invested Mm -hmm. into this. Uh, right. But when you're, you know, a little bit more on the formal ultra-network side, uh, you know, certainly the preservation of capital and, you know, you know, having a strong risk-adjusted strategy is extremely important. But also, if you're a very business-minded organization, uh, you know, you're, you're really looking at a lot of situations, um, you know, what I would call the anomalies or playing the edges a little bit, uh, you know, and you're, you're trying to find compelling scenarios, you know, because mm-hmm. it's just like sometimes I'll tell people, you know, you know, there's a base hit type of, uh, you know, transaction out there. It's not going to excite a lot of people because, you know, like, you, could, you know, whether you talk to us or you talk to another family, they might have 30 of those transactions sitting on their desk right now. And that's not going to move the needle. But if you can approach a family and, you know, and you can show them, you know, some very compelling information and, and, and as a result, some extremely compelling economics uh, in a very clear, concise manner, now you can really get the attention of somebody and, you know, put yourself on the short stack, uh, you know, to, uh, you know, have somebody align interest with you. Yeah. So as we get ready to wrap up here, I wanted to ask about this because I'm just curious. So there's a section in the, um, in the, uh, on their website that talks about creating alpha inside the family office and Mm -hmm connectivity with alpha generating institutional quality opportunities. So, I mean, alpha, you know, usually the alpha is kind of like the, the 
the head honcho kind of, you know, alpha personality. There's all kinds of ways people talk about alpha. But you also, within that same section, talk about where you're, you know, sort of this kind of like what you see on the horizon of these uh, virtualized concepts of water technology, organic food production, artificial yeah. intelligence, Internet of Things. So explain a little, explain how where this, this idea of alpha comes and in the direction that you're taking the organization with some of these unique innovations that are in the market. Sure, absolutely. So, so really what it comes down to is just what I had mentioned, you know, a few moments ago is that, you know, when you're, you know, a little bit more of a formal, you know, organization, um, you know, again, whether it's us or, you know, especially with like, you know, more early stage and emerging technology plays, you know, with other families, you know, you're, you're really looking at a lot of situations on a day in or, you know, a weekly basis. And, you know, ultimately, you know, there's strategies, you know, and there's pockets in the market with, you know, building good intelligence, being very well networked, uh, you know, where you can uncover, you know, again, very compelling opportunities and understanding how to play those strategies. And, and like just, you know, using something very traditional for a moment, real estate. Um, you know, we're playing, in, you know, well, let's just say in, you know, it's a very traditional, you know, asset class, you know, and there's a lot of the sameness in real estate. However, you know, there's a lot of ways to like in today's world, play the demographics, like what we're doing in real estate development, you know, by, uh, you know, controlling budget, um, you know, and controlling development. Uh, you know, you're creating very what I call venture capital like economics while also, you know, having a very strong risk adjusted approach. You're also looking at other demographics that are emerging in the market, uh, you know, whether it's the population and job migration into the, you know, the southeastern U.S. or Texas, as well as, um, you know, the, um, you know, workforce housing and the, um, you know, affordable housing uh, shortage that is, you know, uh, uh, you know, occurring right now throughout the United States that I think over the next several years is going to be, you know, a, a growing uh, need in the marketplace. So it's not only just, you know, your new age industries, it's also, you know, looking at traditional industries, you know, from a little bit of a different light as well. Okay. So it's looking at taking, being in a leadership position to take advantage of directions and trends you see, you see happening either with like with emerging technologies that we described, Internet of Things, that kind of stuff, but also within the things that you're very have deep experience in, the trends of real estate and things that are happening, and looking at the horizon, yeah. probably keeping an eye, uh, ear to the ground on legislative changes that might impact or create new opportunities. You know, economic empowerment zones that create opportunities and yeah. target cities, trends in the way people shift from urban yeah. to, you know, suburban and back again, yeah. you know, things like that. So that's yeah. all. So that, yeah. Is that kind Absolutely. of where Alpha is, is really that leadership in forward thinking of where you're going with this? It's having, you know, it's, it's having intelligence um, you know, or intel, uh, you know, which, you know, because we're very well networked over the years. Uh, you know, we, you know, certainly, you know, have the uh, ability to gather a lot of intel and, um, and, and also uncovering, 
you know, like I said, a lot, you know, a lot of maybe niche pocket opportunities, you know, that, um, you know, still involve traditional industries yet, but yeah. there's a certain, you know, angle um, or relationship or access to, you know, intel that uh, you can, you know, position yourself in. Uh, you know, to generate, you know, that, uh, those alpha like economics. Yeah. So it's like, uh, it is a term that, uh, angel yeah. investors that are like that are early stage yeah. early, and startups, they call skating to the puck. So that's kind of what yeah. you're doing. You're seeing where this puck is yeah. going and you're skating to it with yeah. your alpha strategies. Yeah. And as some of my, you know, like, uh, you know, I think colleagues could probably relate to, I use this term, you know, creating venture capital like economics, you know, with, uh, but also having, you know, family office like risk protection when you're, yeah. you know, looking at, you know, various different strategies. And it's, and it's very possible to balance both of those. Yeah, great. That's, and that is, that it is truly the definition of diversification of a portfolio. So uh, thank you so very much, Brian, for taking time out of your busy day to be on the show and share your insights with my audience of sure. investors and entrepreneurs. I really appreciate it. I thought I, I really enjoyed talking with you and I've learned a lot myself. So thank you very much. Well, thank you. You're Onwards welcome. and upwards. And I want to encourage everybody to check out the, uh, Brian's website and please go to karenrands.co and learn all about how uh, we might be able to help you as well in the skating to that puck. So with that, I want to tell everybody onwards and upwards, have a great day.